Hey everybody, thank you for listening to the Small Town Podcast. Connor here. If you find this episode valuable, be sure to share it with your friends and leave a review on iTunes or wherever else you're listening. Also, I invite you to check us out on Patreon if you're interested in helping to support this podcast. You can find a link to that in the description of this episode. All right, enjoy the conversation. Uh, You know, every now and then it's like, okay, look at this table. You know, everything on the table is from our home. I heard about you um, through the grapevine here at Union. Right. And uh, there was a, a hive of bees recently that you helped to uh, remove. Right. Somebody was asking around, you know, do you know anyone who keeps bees? And, uh, and my dad works in the IT department and he oh, said, okay. as a matter of fact, I do. Yeah. Cause apparently yeah. he had just talked to you about it or right, something right. like that. Uh-huh. Uh, so that's how I heard the story. Okay. And so I thought, well, I, I would love to talk with this guy and hear yeah. about this. Cause I had never met anyone until now who right. has a hobby like this. So, and, and the swarms are one of the reasons I like uh, messing with bees, you know, okay. or working with bees, keeping bees. Um, they're just, uh, it, that's a lot of the fun part of it and there's a lot of reasons why um catching swarms uh, trapping swarms picking up swarms you know whatever the context is, uh-huh. is a, it's a um is an interesting it can be a real challenging thing it can be a real easy thing this um event specifically at security was very simple um it's the sim- one of the simplest ones i've had, okay. had another um similar kind of a swarm catch because the bees essentially just uh, how do they get there? You know that swarming is essentially the the way that you could think about birthing a new colony. Mm-hmm. It's like the reproductive mechanism of of a colony. So when the original hive gets full, when it's there's no more room uh, for the queen to lay eggs, store honey, store nectar, um, store, store pollen. Mm-hmm then they have to um, send out a swarm to reestablish a colony in another place. Um, the other, it could be that there's disease. It could, it could be that there's, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about some, when we talk about challenges in beekeeping, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's one of the biggest um, reasons um, to not be a beekeeper is because of the, 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 the predators, the pests, the challenges with it. And if you're going to be a beekeeper, you have to have a long-term view and you have to recognize that there's going to be constant challenges and failures along the way. Because these hives, the, these colonies of bees will, will just fail because of um, viruses and, and disease. And so some, some natural cavities or habitats where they are, uh, they're just not, they're not hospitable. You know? And so the bees will abscond, they'll leave, or they'll swarm one or the other. So... Uh, in this case, it was just a matter of bringing a box to put them in and <laughs> really just taking uh, pruners and cutting the branch off the tree, setting it down in the box, putting the lid on and carrying them home. Uh-huh. So I had a, got a call from um, the, uh, the president of the Jackson Area Beekeepers Association. Okay. Uh, so I'm involved with that association as well. And that's a, an important part of kind of just being, a, I think, an engaged beekeeper in your community. Um, there are far more beekeepers that are not active in the association, but, um, through the association, a lot of calls come in from all sorts of places. It could be from pest control companies, firefighters, you know, that are um, in places, uh, or EMS people of any sort when they see swarms, businesses, private residences, you know, they just, they get in touch with the, uh, the local association and the president keeps the list, you know, mm. of uh, people that are interested in catching swarms. And so it was the closest in, one nearby gives him a call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He keeps a list of kind of what counties, what areas you're willing to travel to, uh-huh. um, because the swarms won't stay around typically for more than about 48 hours. Um, oh, okay. What what they do is they leave the the nest, if you will. Sorry to interrupt. Could you hold this a little bit closer? Yeah, That'd be yeah. great. Yeah. They. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Okay, they they leave their nest, they leave their their hive, uh-huh. and they'll land on a on a object that's not usually too far away from their original location. You know, five hundred feet. It okay. doesn't have to be far. 
um, and it can be on any kind of structure. Um, and then the scout bees will leave that swarm okay. and continue to look for a permanent location. And so when you see that swarm of honeybees, they're probably not going to be there more than 48 hours. Okay. Huh. And then they'll be gone. And um, so you could just leave them alone. Yeah. And, but a lot of times people are really not interested in just leaving them alone. They want to get rid of them. Yeah. You know? And so I've uh, gone over to Trinity uh, to the school and mm-hmm. picked one up in the parking lot. Um, when I got a call last summer uh, up in Huntington, there was a, um, a manufacturing facility of some sort and they had cooling towers outside and there were catwalks and ladders that went up the side of the cooling towers and there was a swarm of honeybees about four stories up Hmm. just clustered on their stairs and so that was an interesting one because i couldn't get there until about nine o'clock at night and so they had lights outside and it's it's always just an adventure so it's kind of fun uh, to go and pick up the swarms because you never really know what's going to happen. Yeah, well, in these school settings, you know, there's a bunch of people stressed out about it. So you're the right, hero in right. those situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. that's a, a big part about doing it is just for just the good goodwill, yeah. you know, for the public, you know, to be, um, uh, to not, not be developing greater fear of bees because you can uh-huh. really be around honeybees um, typically without being too concerned about being stung. They're, typically defensive in nature and not really going to be too offensive. So, you know, they're not going to be coming out to, to attack you. Mm -hmm. So you just have to kind of, you can tell by their behavior if you're too close, you know, you just back up and everything will be fine. Can you tell based on flight patterns and stuff like that? Not so much. They're um, like watching their flight patterns, but they will, they will, they will actually kind of ping you. Like if, if I have my, my equipment on sometimes, or if I'm not wearing equipment, mm-hmm. um, I was helping a friend on Saturday and, uh, I had a couple of honeybees, uh, from his hives we were working and they would just run right into my hands and they're like, without stinging, just yep, bumping. They're okay. just kind of, they just bump you and they let you know, uh, we're here, you yeah. know, you're uh, kind of getting close. Okay. You know, so you know that that, but it's, it is really important to actually get stung on a regular basis. If you're going to be a beekeeper, Um, You're going to get stung, but you need to get stung because that keeps you from developing an allergic type reaction to stings. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, it's kind of... um, How does that work? Well, we have two different types of immune responses to um, allergens. Okay. And so if you just on on a regular basis are exposed to all the proteins that are a part of the bee uh, biology, the Uh bee... um, their environment, your body starts to develop uh, um, antibodies. And then eventually, when you get stung, you have a more a robust immune response. But if you get stung, the venom itself on a regular basis, it actually suppresses the inappropriate response that your body might have to the allergy okay. and allows a more natural um, measured response um, without getting into too much of the technicalities um, because you have those two different ways, uh, you're able to actually, by getting stung, keep from developing the inappropriate and more robust, like you would think of the anaphylactic kind of reaction. Um, so apparently, what I've read anyways, is that families of beekeepers have um, a much higher rate of bee allergies because the people in the families are exposed to all the kind of the bee proteins and allergens mm-hmm. um, compared to the regular public. And so they develop an, uh, an aller- allergic reaction uh, that's inappropriate. One of my kids had a pretty rough allergic reaction that ended okay. in the ER last year. Oh, okay. You know, but she got stung about 15 times. So it was a unfortunate situation, you know, so you got to be careful, you know, yeah. but um, it's very easy. And I know, I know beekeepers that have anaphylactic reactions, but they wear suits and keep a uh, EpiPen with them, and and they, uh-huh. do, they do just fine. And they still keep bees and still manage bees. So, so you have to let yourself get stung periodically mm-hmm. on purpose. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like a flu shot almost. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, it's um, and uh, you can get immunotherapy if you do develop an allergic reaction. 
it's the same principle. You go, or if you have seasonal allergies, you go to the allergist and what do they do? They, yeah. they give you a shot on a regular basis huh. and it suppresses the um, excessive immune response and your body develops a more um, measured, tempered yeah. immune response to the uh, allergen. There's a, there's a word that I'm trying to think of. It's um, homeo-something. It's a principle in the exercise world that you do a little bit of something hard and it, it's, and you're better for it, but yeah. too much of it will kill you. So it might be homeopathic. That's it. Yeah. yeah that, that's so what I'm thinking of. Like yeah. homeopathic medicines right. is right. that concept kind of like a vaccination where right. you expose yourself to the harmful substance at a very, very low level mm-hmm. um, and then develop the, the concept is your body then develops the ability to, um, to overcome that and right. to, to be stronger because of that low level exposure. Yeah. So you, you bring, in the case of, you know, at one of these schools, you bring the, the swarm home back to your mm-hmm. place. Yeah. Do you, is it, does this become a separate colony or do you add this to an already existing colony or how does that work? It depends on what you need. And okay. so that's All right. the interesting thing about beekeeping. And that's one of the things uh, that I really enjoy about beekeeping is there is um, an endless kind of array of ways to manage and you'll have different needs for your colonies at different times. Okay. And so the swarm that I picked up at Union, for example, I had a couple swarms that I had been, um, had been working with and they had lost their Queens, um, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of opportunity for just trial and error. And Mm -hmm. that's one reason I like the beekeeping as well, because it's a, it's a creative outlet. It's a kind of a, uh, like a, a research outlet in a way, okay. you know, you, you just, cause ultimately what you're trying to do is figure out what works for you at your apiary, you know, with mm-hmm. your bees, okay. because beekeeping is a, it's very much a unique location dependent practice. Um, okay. there are some big principles, right? The bee has a biology. They have uh, a way that they grow and they live and they thrive and they fail. But then, where you are, you have the unique environment, the unique climate, the unique um, honey flow, nectar flow, pollens, things like that. And so you you get to you get to actually work with them to kind of figure out that niche of how to actually manage your um, managed colonies okay. in a way that allows them to thrive. So in that case, I brought the swarm home and I added it to those colonies that had lost their queen. Okay. I was hoping there was a queen in that little swarm. So there's, there's not always, but typically there is. Mm-hmm. And in this case, I went back and checked a couple of weeks later, and sure enough, there were new eggs, new larvae. Uh, in so the, they accepted uh-huh. this incoming queen? Okay. Yeah. So See, I, I, would, I, would, I would think, and I mean, what do I know about this? But I would think that because they're so defensive they wouldn't be welcoming of newcomers like that. That's right. They wouldn't be. So if you just stick it in there, then it's going to create a a battle. Okay. Okay. Right. So you can combine colonies a variety of different ways. One really simple way that works and most people would, I I don't know if most people do it, but I do it all the time, is that what's called a newspaper combine. So you take a piece of newspaper and you put it, between the two boxes of okay. two different colonies. And by the time the bees are able to chew the uh, newspaper apart and, and start to blend, mm-hmm. they don't recognize that they're different. Because so, they've been getting each other scents? Because mm-hmm, um, pheromones okay. start to mingle and they're not as distinct and the colonies come together hmm. um, without without incident. It's okay. really a fairly simple way of combining them, but you have to manage that initial um, interaction. Yeah. Or you're right, you'll get uh, um, in the summertime when we don't have a lot of nectar being produced, uh, colonies try to raid one another, you know, and take, okay. and so you get it, you'll, you'll see, um, like if I go into a colony to inspect it and I'm not fast enough, and I open it up and they've got some honey boxes that I put to the side, you can get um, a really strong uh, robbing frenzy going on. And I mean, the air wow. can become just yeah, full of bees all around you and it's just a disaster. It's like tribal warfare. It is, it's really, really, and it's, <laughs> it's awful actually. So you have to be really careful at some times of the year, it's not, um, not really a 
pleasant okay. <laughs> if you if you create a scenario. You don't want to create problems for yourself. There's enough problems with keeping bees. So. How many colonies do you have? Right now I have six. Okay. So, and they're how big? Uh, well, that's a maybe a loaded question or maybe a loaded question might not be the right word, but it's a, um, it depends on what you mean by how big. The colony is typically going to be of a, of a standard size, maybe about 16, 18, 18 inches where when I say the colony, I mean the brood area itself where inside the wooden boxes. Yeah. Uh-huh. The wooden so you box. have the wooden boxes, but some of those wooden boxes are specifically for just the brood Okay, where the queen is laying. And when I say brood, I mean the young bees that are, are, are starting off as eggs, then becoming larva, they pupate, and then they, um, eventually hatch out into adult, into mature bees. Okay. And in that area is going to be about a 16, 18 inch high and who knows how kind of wide of a group. Above that, you see more boxes stacking higher and higher. And those boxes are specifically put on there to store honey. All right. So those are commonly called honey supers. Um, the kind of the super is a, is a kind of a term when people talk about the putting on supers. They're talking about those boxes that are above the brood nest. Hmm. And so... Um, Right now, at this time of the year, I don't have um, but one box above that brood nest that's that has honey in it. Okay. Because at this time of the year, I want to keep everything as as small as possible, so that the bees can stay as clustered and condensed as possible. Because they need to stay warm. They try to keep that area where the cluster is um, at different times of the year. The inside about ninety degrees. Um, right in the center of the cluster wow. okay. and the outer edges of the cluster might get down to like 65 or 50 at the lowest. And you're not providing um, any additional heat there? No. That's just, okay. uh-huh. And so there are some people that, um, there are many, many different types and styles of, of boxes. Okay. And so it's a, that's a hours long conversation and just okay. the different styles of boxes you can use. But there, there is um, uh, really a, a, a basic philosophy that, you know, thicker boxes insulate better. They keep the extreme heats out in the summer. They keep the cold out in the winter, and they allow the bees to to make it through the winter a little bit easier than. So they don't boxes. hibernate then. No. Uh. Uh-uh. Okay. They reduce their numbers way down through the late summer fall into a small cluster because most most honeybees only live forty five days. Okay. And then, but once you get your 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 winter bees, though, they're obviously going to have to. Mm-hmm. over winter for months. And so those bees that hatch out in the late summer, early fall, those bees are going to be um, maintaining the the warmth in that cluster to keep the very few brood that the queen does lay, mm-hmm. um, keep them warm enough that they can develop and survive. The queen really is not really laying right now, you know, November, October, November, December, really yeah. very little. And then kind of mid-January, she'll start laying again. So it's still pretty cold. And so that's when they really have to keep that temperature up around 95 degrees in the center of that that cluster. And that's they, remarkable that they can get uh-huh, it that warm. It is. It's very remarkable. And that's just with vibrating the muscle, you know, the um, contracting muscles, vibrating yeah. their wings, that kind of thing. Like shivering? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's, that's right. They just yeah. shiver. Yeah. And uh, keep the... Uh, keep the temperature up, and then, um, then the, the the brood grows, the size of the colony grows as we get towards spring, and then spring hits. The maples bloom first, uh, and you have um, you know, kind of your early pollen sources, which is protein for the bees. That's their protein source. Their okay. nectar is their car- their carbohydrate source, and those are their two main fuels. Their okay. two main foods. Um, and, and then they start bringing in those resources and they start getting bigger and bigger and gearing up to swarm and getting, and so mm-hmm. your swarm season is typically, um, April, May, sometimes June, this one that was, um, I can't remember when the one was at security, um, September, it was, uh, something like that. Yeah. Very, very unusual. Very, very late. So I didn't have much hope for it. Okay. And it was extremely small. It was only the size of like a, 
a grapefruit. I mean, okay. it was a really small. Typically, they're going to be more football size. And you can get really Scarier big. looking. You can get, <laughs> yeah. well, you know, the thing is, when they go to swarm, okay. they gorge themselves with honey. Because they've got a long time that they're going to be out before they actually get around to developing that new, you know, they have to, draw, they have to find the home. Mm-hmm. They've got to draw out all the wax and make the comb that they can store nectar in. And so they're, they're not going to have stores of any kind. They're going to be just living off of whatever they can forage. Um, and so when they're loaded down with honey before they swarm, they, they get real docile. And okay. you can actually handle them with your, your hands, and they're not going to sting you. They don't have anything to defend. They have no brood to defend. They have mm. no, no home, okay. no stores okay. to defend. And so they're, they're very um, easy to handle. Now, every now and then, you'll get an angry bunch of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they might not have a queen with them. There might, you know, the weather might be, if it's overcast, windy, stormy, it's going to be um, not a good time to be in the bees. So you want to you want to work work with the bees on sunny and mild days. That's that's going to be best. So you don't collect any honey over the winter, then. No. If they're if they're in kind of quasi hibernation mode right. right now, then you're not gonna you're gonna leave them with their food so that right. they don't die. And that little swarm that I got. Yeah. From here, they had no stores. Yeah. Their store they had a little bit. So I'm actually putting sugar on that colony. Oh, you're, you're giving them stuff. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to feed them through the winter yeah. uh, and hope the best for the okay. best. Hope they make it. <laughs> Do you check on them at all? Cause if you open the box, yeah. that's going to let the heat out, right? That's right. So it's got to be over. Usually I wouldn't check on them unless it gets around 50 degrees. Okay. I will, um, if it's a good sunny day and it's cold out, kind of like it was yesterday today, yeah. um, in the, in January, February, we have a lot of days like that. You know, I'll slide the box a little bit to the side just to dump in more sugar okay. or something without really exposing it much. Uh-huh. So really um, limited exposure to the to the colony is what you want. You know, okay. I won't inspect. Uh, the only the only thing I'm inspecting during the winter is just to, s- to see if they have food. You know. Yeah. And even then, the other colonies that I left honey on, I'm not going to open them up at all. Okay. Until March. How many are we talking per colony? How many bees? Yeah, and, and that number is going to ebb and flow, right? With right. This, with the season, right? So, and the, you're talking about a smaller one in the mm-hmm. case of the one you just got. Yeah, I wish I, I wish I had good numbers for you: thirty thousand to ninety thousand. You know, depending per on colony. Mm-hmm. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh! Yeah, so you pick up a swarm, you're going to get three, um, maybe thirty colony. Thirty thousand might be the better number. Okay, you know, you're going to get a good. You know, anywhere from three thousand to ten thousand bees in that cluster, because they'll 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 swarm off half the colony. Yeah, you know, so you'll get you with that first swarm, and there can be after swarms are called. There'll be sometimes there's, and I really should explain too that when they swarm, the queen goes with the swarm, and so that leaves the colony be, that's the colony that's left. Uh-huh. They have no queen, so they're they're hopeless unless they can raise up a queen. Okay. which they should have already started and they should already have a queen that's ready to hatch at the point when the swarm leaves. So the swarm leaves pretty much when they're, when they feel like the colony is good to go. So how does that work? Eggs are laid and then the queen dies and hopefully there's a queen in that batch of eggs. Is that what you're talking, is that what you're talking well, or about? The, or the queen would leave with the swarm. Oh, okay. Okay. And then right there. Okay. So, um, Another reason why I keep bees is because I like biology and I like the uh, the way that they uh, reproduce. Uh-huh. Um, the all of the eggs that um, well, let me say it this way: all the workers are female. Okay. okay. So the vast majority of bees that you see, honeybees, are going to be female. Okay. There are male worker bees as well, or not worker bees. There are male bees, honeybees as well, but they're called drones. Okay. And so their only job is to mate the queen and then just hang out. <laughs> and so when it gets to be late great summer, job. it's, that's it. They get fed <laughs> and they, that's, that's it. So when the queen, the, it's really fascinating. When the queen is mated, she's mated once for life. Okay. And so she flies off, leaves the, so let me get back. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can get a little scattered. So yeah. um, those, those female eggs that are laid 
every one of them has the potential to become a queen. Okay. Most of them will become a worker. When they need a queen, essentially all the colony does is feed that queen larva a, a substance called royal jelly. You may have heard that term before. Royal jelly. Royal jelly. Wow. And so the, there's something about the nature of that, that if they continue to feed that larva, that jelly, it produces the queen. And if they stop feeding it royal jelly, it goes into, becomes a worker. Okay, that's really interesting. Yeah, so, so it's just based on the, uh, the, that royal jelly and how, how long they feed um, that, that queen larva. What kind of chemical is in that? I don't know. Is that some sort of serotonin thing? Or? I don't know. Okay. So it, I, I know people have studied it. I'm sure yeah. they know the exact makeup of it and what it is that um, if it's a hormonal. Yeah you know, composition or just, uh, some sort of, um, uh, proteins, you know, which I guess that make up hormones, you know, but Cause isn't a lot of the, isn't a lot of hierarchy in the animal world based on serotonin? Isn't, uh, I, that, I mean, I don't know if in the, in the insect world, I have no I idea, know. but I, can, I yeah. can't answer that question. Okay. Yeah. It's a, it, it might be. Okay. I really I, don't, I don't know. know. Yeah. So there's the, that is the substance. Okay. And, uh, there's Royal a Royal jelly. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So I should probably, um, Make make a note to myself to research what it is that is in that royal jelly that actually changes the, I guess the uh, the physiology of that female honeybee, and it's not just her physiology, her anatomy too. Uh-huh. You know, so it becomes about a, a thirty to fifty percent bigger insect. The queen is much bigger, has a much bigger abdomen, and it develops reproductive hormone um, sex organs. And they and, make this food out of the nectar and the. The pollen? Uh, the ne- Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that is their only, their food sources. Including this royal jelly. I think so. Yeah. Because they, they don't have anything else coming in. Right. So. Um, That's interesting. I, I'm not aware of any other, yeah. any other kind of basis for developing that. Okay. Yeah. All right. I didn't yeah. mean to sidetrack us. I was just, I thought that was fascinating. Yeah. Well, so. it, is, it is very interesting. Yeah. So you can, um, you can actually make queens, uh-huh. you know, so that's something that. Um, I haven't gotten into yet. It's kind of the next step to really help you have a sustainable apiary. You really have to get in into um, understanding how to either divide your colonies. We call it splitting your colonies, creating smaller colonies that can then grow up. Um, because if you, if you just essentially have one colony that you leave there, it will ultimately um, either abscond and leave or uh, fail. You know, you'll have... You can keep it alive for for a few years, mm-hmm. you know, for several years, uh, but and some colonies are left um, alone and are found in buildings, and they've been going on for a decade, you know. Mm. So, uh, but if you, that's a whole different topic of why, um, you know, the difference between wild bees and managed colonies and um, natural things and unnatural things and all mm-hmm. that. Um, but oh. Yeah, so you can actually take those lar- those eggs or those really early larvae before they've stopped feeding the royal jelly, mm-hmm. and you can put them into little cups. And as long as those cups are hanging, uh, so that they, so if you think of a honeycomb, the face of the comb, you know, comes out towards you, right? But if you flip that over on its side, bees would draw those those cells out downward right and so almost like a and it would it would form like a peanut shape it's hard to describe without showing a picture yeah but the queen cells um, are drawn in a way that they go down and they're much bigger than a typical little cell in the honeycomb that a regular bee a worker bee is uh, raised in okay you know so you can actually force that and so you can take the larva out put it in the little cups and hang them um, on a rack and, the, and put them in a hive that doesn't have a queen, and the bees will actually draw all those out into dozens of, of queen cells. Wow. Uh, you have to have a really robust colony that can feed it enough royal jelly, feed all yeah. of them. And so there is a, that's a whole another area of keeping bees um, and raising queens and selling queens, and there's a whole market for that too. Wow. So, yeah. So how big is this hobby? Is the, I mean, how many people are involved in this sort of thing? Oh, it's not that many, you know, I mean, if you think about the Jackson area, yeah. oh, maybe there's, and I mean, it's a big area. I'd be guessing, 
you know, I think about people that are involved in the association. There's probably only three, four dozen, you know, that are okay. in the, in, and maybe, maybe that represents, let's say a third to a half of beekeepers or a quarter of beekeepers. I don't know. So mm-hmm. in the whole kind of greater Jackson area, not including Shelby County and, right. you know, you, you probably have a, I don't know, a few hundred beekeepers around. So that you have mm-hmm. to register your apiary with the state. Okay. Um, you're supposed to. Yeah, okay. So they know where the colonies are because if there is an outbreak of disease, the state apiarist will um, come and test your colonies to see if you have them because some diseases require you to destroy the colony. Um, really? You wow. have to burn them, okay. actually. Wow. In order to get rid of it because they... Um, it's really critical to not allow that to spread because uh-huh. honeybees, they forage, you know, over three yeah. miles, you know, drones drift between colony from one colony to the next. So it's pretty easy to spread mm-hmm. disease, you know, from uh, within colonies that are a mile away. And so you have to register with the state. And so I'm sure there's a, a way I could maybe find out, um, you know, from the state, the state tr- keeps track of that. Also well, people that spray, um, uh, oh, I lost the word. Um, Pesticides? Yeah, but, right, and uh, the uh, crop dusters. Cro- right? Okay, yeah. yeah so yeah. if you're spraying, um, and even if you're sp- if you're a farmer and you've got bees that are there for pollination services, you, you're supposed to notify the beekeeper 24 hours, and the crop dusters are supposed to check the registry and notify oh, beekeepers okay. so that you can close the, the colonies. Because the bees come in at night, you know, and uh-huh. they stay, and you can put screen in front of your uh, your entrances and um, keep them off of the crops for uh, a period of time while the pesticides are wet. And um, try do to they do them. a good job of remembering to? No. To oh, okay. Least, uh, I mean, I, we have crop dusters that'll fly in our area. But I've never gotten a call. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, yeah. Maybe some do. Yeah. Know, but not, not. Okay. Not the norm. I don't think. Okay. Yeah. Oh man. So we're talking about a pretty fragile kind of species i mean how, how many different species do you keep just just one. Oh, the, just one apis mellifera is the okay is the species that the european honeybee but there um, are a lot of different kinds aren't there well so there are a lot of different bees right right so but there and there are just a couple different four five that i well maybe there's more than that that i'm aware of of species of honeybees you know, so okay. there's, there's Asian varieties, um, Apis serrana, and um, the uh, the African, and there's there's subspecies though. There are multiple subspecies, so that gets a little bit more. Do you keep multiple uh, subspecies? I don't know. Or, okay. I really haven't okay. um, determined what mine would be. But, but it's all the but same no, species. Yeah, it's all it's okay. all a typical European honeybee. Okay. And you can get varieties of the European honeybees. There's Italians and Corniolans and Russians, and you can you can try to kind of um, have a unique strain. Okay. You know, um, and there people have, um, kind of characterized their temperaments and some of those varieties are really, um, good honey producers. Others are, um, just gentler, easier to handle. Others are more disease resistant. So the Russian, um, strains are supposed to be hardier and more disease resistant, for example. And, okay. you know, so what you can do is you can buy a, a Russian queen, you know, or a Corniolan queen or an Italian queen or whatever, mm-hmm. and put that into your colonies and bring in new genetics. And, and that can totally change the nature of your, of your, your colony and how, wow. how well they produce honey or how well they um, are, how easy they are to handle or whatever yeah. characteristic. Okay. Yeah. This is like uh insect version of shepherding. It, it is. It's totally like that. And that's one of the things that is fascinating to me about yeah. it because there's a lot of husbandry involved yeah. and there's a lot of stewardship involved. Um, you, you can't just, you can, you can have bees. Uh, they just won't last. Uh-huh. Right. And they won't necessarily um, thrive and, you know, you, well, they certainly won't thrive, you know, but uh, you have to do, you have to be, do a bit of studying and a little bit of learning and a, a whole lot of patience and what what got you into this in the first place? I had a couple friends that were interested in beekeeping, and they um, they got a couple of colonies, and I really wasn't all that interested in. And then I just uh, one year I said, "Yeah, I'm kind of interested in it." And some of my friends said, "Well, the local association, the Jackson Area Beekeepers Association, has a, a short course, 
So okay. every March we have basically uh, just a, a one day, um, I think it's like six hours, where people that are interested in getting started with beekeeping can come to a meeting and we go through the basics of beekeeping. And so I signed up, went to that. Um, the state association, the Tennessee Beekeepers Association, offers um, a hive grant. So each association, each club can um, have a mechanism whereby interested people can submit a, um, a request, whatever that whatever that mechanism is. Like an application uh-huh. type thing? And, okay. Yep. Oh, uh, at the Jackson Area Club, they just require an essay, you okay. know, and, uh, and then the, uh, the officers will look through them and decide who gets a, a grant hive. And so oh. they, okay. uh, I think at, the, at our club, they gave out, they typically give out three a year. And so that includes the, the kind of the one box with, um, there's a bottom board that the box sits on. There's a cover for the box. Uh-huh. There's a fair amount of equipment in there. Okay. Um, which we can talk about how much that costs too. Um, And you have to get bees though. Okay. And so you either have to buy bees. They don't provide the bees with the grant. Right. The grant gives you the box, which will save you about $100. Okay. You know, right in that area um, for just that one box. Okay. And the bottom board and the top. Um, You're going to need more boxes than that though before the season's over. Um, This is how they pull you in. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) So... And then, but it is really, it's sad though. Uh, most people get pulled in, but they don't stay. Okay. So, cause the bees die, mm. you know, the bees leave. Um, first attempt and, is a yeah, flop. It, it, the first year can actually be really good, okay. really easy. Cause the bees are doing all the work. They're just, they're just building up. They're getting established. They're having to build all the comb. They're getting the, the colony established. Yeah. It's the second year where you typically have the colony fail. Because huh. that's when they're big enough to swarm. That's when they're big enough to, um, well, that's when they've been there long enough for disease to start affecting them. And you, you see people really struggle in that second year. The first year, it's like, this is great. This is easy. I love beekeeping, you know. And then the next year, it's you don't know enough. And, and so you can't even, you can't even, like, do an autopsy, you know, uh-huh. of your of your colony and say what went wrong i can't i don't even have a clue and so you find yourself in you so this the, the real key is mentoring okay you've got to have a good mentor somebody that you can call to say what should i be doing now walk me through this what mm-hmm. am i seeing here does this look good um and then uh, that's gonna help you be much more successful okay yeah so that's so i went to the short course um it's called and i and it was in march and that was about five years ago Got, so you've been doing this for five years? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So this is, uh, I got a, uh, got the grant. So I got the box and I, I ordered bees from an apiary in uh, Clarksville, I think is the okay. town that they're in. So just east of here a little, yeah. uh, halfway between here and Nashville, I think it is. Uh-huh. So they, and they've Wolf Creek bees. Um, excellent. That's their, their thing is, is uh, selling bees. So some people okay. have colonies to produce honey and sell honey. Some people have colonies to pollinate um, crops, and they move them all over the, the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people just produce bees and sell bees, and that's what that's what Wolf Creek does mostly. Okay. So you can buy packages from them, and packages are basically a a box that's got screen all around it that has three thousand bees in it and a queen. And so you've got everything to get started except for there's no comb that for them to for the queen to start laying on. There's nothing for them to start storing honey on. They have to start from scratch, just like mm-hmm. a swarm. It's basically just like a swarm. Okay. You're just bringing home and putting into a box. Uh, and then you can also buy what's called a nuke, or it's short for a nucleus colony. Okay. And that's a much stronger position to start with because it actually comes with frames that are drawn out. Uh, with wax, with comb for the queens. The queen's already actually... I think I've seen pictures of that before. Probably. Yeah. And then the queen is actually already laying. You know, they actually already have some stores. And so you're... It's about half the size of the full box of bees. Okay. And so it, it's a enormous jump start. You can actually pull some honey off of that hive after the in the first year, potentially. Does it have kind of almost like shelves 
vertical shelves. So yeah, you can pull out different. They're, uh, yeah, they're called rows. frames. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. And they 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 hang. Yeah. Uh, from the top bars, uh, and they basically are a rectangle. And in that rectangle, you hope in that rectangle your bees um, make nice straight uh, rows of comb. Okay. They tend to kind of wander a little bit mm-hmm. if you're not careful. Your hive has to be perfectly level, um, and you have to adjust every now and then and kind of clean things up a little bit if they get a little, they get kind of wonky. Uh-huh. So. Okay. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you harvest anything from, from your colonies? Do you get honey out of it or do I w- you? I will. I'll take honey. It depends on how much I mess around with them. If okay. I, if I get that much honey this year, I took off, uh, all in the end, probably about three gallons. Three honey. gallons. Okay. Yeah. So, and that's really small. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If, especially for six colonies, but uh, several of those colonies, I kept them really small on purpose because I wanted to, okay. I want, I want to get good experience with them. I want to, so I split, um, colonies, you know, when I started the year I had three. Okay. And so I did some splitting and there are, um, there are reasons why you'll actually get rid of the queen. Um, to take the queen out of the colony. And so I was messing around with that and making them requeen. And so, hmm. um, you know, so I didn't run them this year with the purpose of, yeah, I only took honey off of two, two colonies. Okay. So do you ever sell it? Um, not yet. Not I yet. Okay. I don't have enough. We, okay. we consume it all at home. So okay. yeah, it's, see, I don't have a frame of reference for yes. how much honey that actually is. I mean, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not that much. If you're, I mean, I would think most people that don't really use honey other than maybe putting it on a biscuit, uh-huh. that would be a lot of honey. You know, you might go through a honey bear a year or something. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. You know, but um, we use it to, to bake with, you know, we'll put it in bread and um, that kind of thing. And so you're using cups at a time, you know, you're okay. using larger amounts. Yeah. So we, we go through and we use it. Um, uh, I use it a lot as, you know, it's just your, kind of the main sweetener yeah. in a lot of things. So it it, it goes quick. Yeah. Well, I had, um, recently I had a gardener on this podcast and we were talking about how, uh, rewarding it is. And I don't know, there's just, there's some extra meaning to it when you are using things that you actually grew yourself. Oh yeah. That there's a satisfaction that comes with that. Yeah, absolutely. We love to, to garden as well. And, uh, you know, it's every now and then it's like, okay, look at this table, you know, everything on the table is from our home and we've, we've, Mm. we've done, you know, uh, meat birds, chickens, and meat rabbits. And we've done little projects like that too. And, you know, you can have your complete table that you've actually provided. And there, mm. there is, there's a really, um, there's a satisfaction that comes from that. So the bees then are only one portion of your, of your farm or, yeah. or what's, what's the setup that you well, guys have? Yeah. What we have right now. And I, well, it's, I have a, my full-time job keeps me from really actually doing okay as much as I would love to do because I would like I would really like to um to develop you know a, a, a functioning fully kind of um sustaining kind mm-hmm. of little enterprise you know but and it started you know we've got a decent sized garden I'd love to market garden I just don't have time to to do all that it's just yeah. so much work but still we do we do that um uh, as much year round as we can We'll do, um, we have chickens, um, the gateway, you know, okay. most people kind of can get into kind of livestock that way. That's a growing fad uh-huh. I've noticed. Yeah. yeah. And it's, I, I, I enjoy them. They're really easy. They're just, uh, they're, they're really a good way to, to see if you actually can kind of adjust your lifestyle huh. so that you can put something up at night so it won't get, um, predator yeah. demise, you uh-huh. know? manage something's food and water every day, you know, kind of keep that in the rhythm of your life. It's a good way to do that without, with very minimal investment, very little infrastructure. Um, so we have the chickens, we have a couple horses. One of my girls is really interested in riding and we ride quite a bit. Okay. Um, we have, um, a pretty extensive network of, of trails behind our property. So we have, it's a really nice, um, situation. So there's a big land trust behind us that we can go ride on and that kind of thing. So we have, um, Eight sheep, uh, right now. That's been a. That's our newest. That's my newest enterprise. So I'm not really sure wh- where that's going to go. That's a, okay. my uh, my intent. Is you add a new thing each year? No, or? I see. I've been actually trying to kind of scale back. Oh, okay, all right. Because it can get really 
um, easily out of control. Like uh, we had rabbits for a little while, meat rabbits. And, you know, we've done, like I said, meat, meat. rabbits. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. That's a lot of management. Okay. And that's one reason why. Is it a lot of rabbits? Uh, not, you don't have to have a lot of rabbits to have a lot of management because okay. you just have every, because they're caged unless you have a setup where you can actually have a, um, a warren that is kind of open, uh-huh. you're going to have to be out there every day, you know, to, to feed and water them. They can't forage. Okay. Um, cause even like with the chickens, I can, I can set them up, you know, so I can be gone for a weekend the sheep and the horses and a couple of my kids have some pigs too, but those are ornamental. Those are unfortunate <laughs> actually, but that's a different story. That was a moment of weakness. They're so, not, uh, not for the meat, huh? No, but I, I will put them in the garden this, this winter and they'll do a really good job of tilling it up and rooting it up. And, okay. um, so they, they actually, we can, we can put them to work and they can clear out some, they can clear out some brush did you mention goats? No. Okay. Mm-hmm. No goats. Just, just okay. the sheep. Okay. Um, goats are too, well, I've never had them, so I, I can't really say they're too um, difficult to kind of contain, but that's my understanding is they're much more difficult. Yeah. Um, and I'm just not really interested in them. You know, it's kind of funny how something, I'm more interested in the sheep. You've you got know, enough to so. occupy your time. Yeah. Yeah. So the rabbits take a lot. They can overheat really easily in the summer, so you got to keep them cool. Um it's just a lot, lot more difficult, and then they reproduce very quickly. So, hmm. once once you've once you've had your litter, you don't have that many weeks before you got to figure out where you're going to put the bucks and the does and separate them, and so that you can get them to the point where they're you're able to process them for the meat, and you know, or st- start new little um, breeding pairs. Hmm. And uh, it's just uh, it required more cages and more separation and more more thinking than I was capable yeah. of handling at the time. So I'm like, this was a good experiment, but that's got to go away. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. So I wanted to have you on because I thought you had this uh, unusual beekeeping hobby, but now I'm realizing there's a lot more we can talk about here. <laughs> okay. Um, so, so where did the bees fit into this? You already had the horses and the chickens in the garden and then you added bees or yeah, were the yeah, bees they, the start? No, no, they were, they were after those, those things. Okay. Um, and, and they, the bees, I would, the bees are my most interest. They're the thing I've spent the most effort, you know, like I said, with the sheep, they're, they're pretty new and I'm not really sure yeah. how, how I haven't established even a, a cycle yet. I've only had them for about a year, um, a little over a year. So, uh, I've had some lambs and I'm not really sure what I'm going to process or what I'm going to, um, keep for breeding for next year. Mm-hmm. They're actually, this is breeding season now. So, um, Anyways, that's a that's still way up in the air. I don't know enough about what I'm doing with that to Okay. So it's kind of the the process of elimination. So the bees came before and I've spent the most time really studying bees and how to how to work with them and um if I had to get rid of everything except for one thing, I'd keep the bees. Really? Yeah. Okay. For sure. Um they the, they also fit really really well into you know, kind of a a, a busy full-time job kind of like you can sideline bees pretty easily. Hmm. Um, there's only certain times of year where you really have to be in them. And in fact, sometimes the less you're in them, the better. Because when you get in and you open up that box and you start taking frames out, you're taking their, their nest apart. Yeah. You know, and it uh, disrupts things. And so it takes them a little bit of time when you, you know, cover them up with smoke. And mm-hmm. um, it's, it, it can set, set things back a little bit. It takes a little bit of time for them to get readjusted and they require the most care in the summer in or the, the spring spring because spring. Yeah, okay. they're because they're building up and they'll build up very fast and okay. you got to make sure you've got enough space for the brood nest to expand enough space to add um nectar and okay. store nectar as it's coming in and uh so that's that's the biggest job because we, okay. we have a fairly short season here um maybe may and june where we really have our main nectar flow okay. when that's uh, being really um, large amounts. Can, this year, especially, we had said it was wet. The nectar flow lasted longer. We had lots of lots of nectar filling in. So in several of the colonies, I just couldn't keep up. They, As soon as the brood would hatch, they'd actually start storing honey in the brood area, hmm. not above it, you know. So uh, it can be, 
that was the biggest challenge this year. So when they're uh, gathering, do they they find their own flowers, or do you does it help mm-hmm. to provide them with with uh, a, a, a collection to choose from? Yeah, no, they they forage so far okay. that they'll find their own, and it's not just flowers either; it's tree sources. There oh, really? Are, there are okay. a lot of yeah. You can probably feed more bees if you plant a tree hmm. than if you have a wildflower. I did not know that. Um, yeah, so there's a um, if you. There are some really good, um, you know, maples, like I mentioned. Um, Really, there's a whole bunch of different types of trees that can be really good for bees and and can be excellent sources of pollen and nectar. Okay. Um, So, but certainly it's, it's, I would never discourage anybody from planting wildflowers. Yeah. You know, so (laughs) the more the merrier, but that'll be helpful. They'll work them, you know, and they'll work your garden over. we have some fruit trees, and if you're not careful, like I wasn't this year, um, I lost a good peach tree because they they pollinate it so well that usually what happens is multiple blossoms get pollinated on every little stem. Uh, it's not really each stem, but there's a little cluster of stems, um, and you get too much fruit on a branch, mm-hmm. and it can break the branch, and mm-hmm. um, that happened to me, unfortunately. So yeah. it was a really... Um, disappointing outcome but it was amazing how much fruit was on that tree so there are some apiaries where or i'm sorry some orchards where you, you got to be careful how much pollinator pressure presence you have on your uh, on your fruit trees or you can over pollinate huh it's not a problem that i would have guessed mm-hmm. would be there but mm-hmm. yeah you sort of touched on this a little bit already but what is the What's the main draw for you with, I mean, now I'm thinking, you know, all of these little things that you've tried, but mainly beekeeping. Mm-hmm. What, what's the, and, and you said that out of all of them, bees are the ones that you get the most out of or the mm-hmm. ones that you would be, the, that you would be the most reluctant to give up. What's the meaning that you get out of it? Yeah. So the, I think it, I think it satisfies, um, a creative outlet in, okay. for, for, um, you you can build your own woodenware. Mm. You can you can um, even if you don't want to, to build it all, you can build parts of it. Um, and even just designing, there's so many different types of hives and different styles. You know, you can okay. do. There's a lot of creative that can go in with it. And then there's a lot of different styles of actually beekeeping and how you're going to manage them. And so there's a lot of problem solving. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of. Uh, work that you're going to go into that you're going to take on to just um, observe and study and document and follow and um, that's the kind of thing that I'm really interested in and it's very dynamic mm-hmm. for for a, a season and then you've got a respite and you kind of reflect decide what you're going to do you're really your beekeeping season is kind of August to through July because okay. around August things are now kind of declining and you're you have to start thinking okay what's my plan for next year how many colonies do i hope come out the winter what am i going to do with them um, because if you don't have a plan uh, for the next year then you're not going to be prepared with your supplies and um, so i think that my just my interest in the biology of the honeybee mm-hmm. um, and uh, how they how they grow how they live how mm-hmm. they swarm how they do all what they do is fascinating it's just well. interesting yep yeah and in, in all those different dimensions you know so it's it's uh keeps me keeps me engaged more uh-huh. than anything else on a on a regular basis so and there's a lot of different um i you know you could choose to get into you could just do honeybees because you want the wax if you're a, mm. a crafter you know and you wanted to do different types of uh wax products products of the hive you know for sale people sell propolis and pollen and different substances that are in the hive because okay. of their purported health benefits and people um, just, you know, sell candles and lip balms and um, all sorts of things. You put honey in something or beeswax in it and it, it has a mystique. You and know? you said some people actually just sell the bees themselves, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Exactly. You'd have to have quite a few colonies though to be able to um, yeah, do that. You, you would, or, I mean, I could do it, um, even with what I have and, okay. and offset my costs. So you have to be inspected though. So okay. I would need to contact the state apiarist right around this time, December at the latest so that he could come and inspect, make sure that my, my apiary is disease free 
and then I could sell um, packages or nukes to people in the in the club. You just sell a few of them. I could, I could raise up a few queens. Queens mm. will go for about forty dollars each, you know. And so you sell a you sell a couple pack a couple nukes and a few queens, and that'll pay for all your wood. Yeah, you know, and you keep your your hobby um, at least cost neutral as much as possible. If someone wanted to get started in this. I guess the grant would be the first place for them to go. That'd be nice because it would just, yeah. it would offset, you know, I think I said $75 or something like that, yeah. you know, of that. But, and then your bees to get, if you buy a package of bees, you're looking at about 120. Okay. Maybe if you bought a nuke, you'd be up in the 150 plus okay. range. So if you didn't um, get a grant, then you're looking at about maybe 300 bucks. Yeah. Something like that. And you're going to need a jacket or a veil. Okay. And there are some basic tools. You have to have a hive tool in order to kind of pry the boxes apart. Because the bees, propolis is basically um, sap from okay. pine sources usually that the bees will, they will seal all the cracks and they'll put, they'll, they'll glue everything together. Huh. And so when you get in the hive, a lot of times you're having to kind of crack things apart, break things apart to get them open and um, to get the frames out and to look at them. And the, the, uh, the calming smoke for them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you need a smoker. Yeah. That'll run you 30, 40 bucks, depending on where you get it. Okay. 20 All right. Bucks. Yeah. So we're up to how much now? Yeah. You're, you're, you're north of 300. Okay. Cause, and you can get, you know, when you start off though, you probably should have a jacket with a veil and gloves, uh, because you just, you need to get a little bit of time. You need, you need to have, take a little bit of time to get comfortable. Mm-hmm. Cause this, even for me still, I'll, I'll react, you know, yeah. I'll, I have, have a bee land on my hand. And if I'm just not, I just be calm, let it kind of walk around, let it fly off, you know, uh-huh. but it's unnerving when you grab those frames and you have a few bees kind of crawl up around your fingers. It's like one of them's going to sting me one of these moments and I'm yeah. just kind of like bracing myself yeah. for it, you know, and it's not that painful. It goes away and you get used to it. Hmm. And so it becomes less painful, but, um, and with clunky gloves on, it's really hard so, because the, the, the calmer you are around the hive, the calmer you are with just um, taking the lid off, taking the frames out, moving things around, the less aggressive you are, the less disruptive you are, then the gentler the bees will be. They do you res- think that that's um, just the type of movement, or do you think that they can sense the emotion or the... I would say both. Okay. I really think both. Okay. Um, and if you have gloves on and a lot of equipment, it makes it harder, huh. you know, and you find yourself just knocking things around and, um, you, you know, and then you get stung a lot more, Yeah, you know, so you can, uh, you'll see if you, you know, there's, so there are a lot of, uh, YouTube channels. There are good YouTube channels and really bad YouTube channels, you know, so <laughs> okay. just like anything, just like any, yeah. 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 Buyer beware, you know, with what you're watching, uh-huh. um, you can, you can get a lot of misinformation, but it's, it's interesting just to see how you, you know, how people do what they do. Uh, but you'll, you'll see people handling bees all the time with just, you know, shorts and t-shirts, mm-hmm. you know, so they're, and they're getting stung. They're just used to it you yeah. know? and they're not getting stung that much because when you get stung, the bee releases a alarm pheromone. Okay. And so, um, there's a, there's a little sack that the, um, that the venom is in. And when you get stung that the bee's going to die. Cause when it flies off, it actually pulls the guts out mm-hmm. not, not all the guts, but it, it's that's that little sack is attached in the stinger are attached in internally in the bee. And so that bee will die. And in that act, it releases an alarm pheromone that says, Hey, there's a, you know, sort of predator here you need to defend the hive and mm-hmm. so it's really the best thing to do when you get a a stinger is not to try to grab it and pull it out because basically you will pinch that sack and pump all the venom into your oh, okay arm you want to just use like a, a scraping motion to get it off the skin you know use a credit card or a um or a, some sort of a, a knife or something just to kind of just brush it away you know Something that's got little to things you learn al- along the way, huh? Yep, that's right. <laughs> yeah, it makes it a lot, lot less um, uh, of an exposure to the to the venom. Yeah. So you got to have all that equipment. It's not the easiest stuff to work in, but it's it gets you acclimated to having things buzzing around your head. That's really unnerving, yeah. you know. And it can be 
it can take a little bit before you're comfortable with um and then it gives you a while to get a sense for what is normal activity you know around me or are these bees kind of getting riled up or is this really like a lot of bees from other places that are now starting to rob this colony out you know mm. what's going what is this going around uh, all around me so well a lot of these are one-time purchases too right it's not like you have to yeah. buy multiple jackets or something like that right right they'll they'll wear out they won't last more than a few seasons you know, okay you're, it depends on how many columns you have and how much you wear them mm-hmm. you know you're you're gonna you're gonna replace them but you're right your your smoker's gonna last a long time if you buy you can buy a cheap you can buy cheap and it's it's definitely worth spending a little bit more you get buying. what you pay for you, you really do right there are some tools that are going to um, that are going to last and they're going to do better. Uh-huh. Um, there are some tools that you're going to be more prone to lose. And so you might not want to spend money on them, you know? So, okay. yeah. So if you, if you, you know, buy the woodenware and you can't make the woodenware for much cheaper, if any cheaper than you can buy it, uh-huh. wood is just expensive. And yeah. so then you've got to have your time, but if you're interested in woodworking, it's really simple. Mm. It's pretty easy to make. Uh, and there are some people, there's a guy that is a commercial beekeeper and he produces queens and he does it all on um, just rough, uh, he'll he'll take one by sixes, two by sixes. I'm not sure what, he, I think it's one by sixes okay. and just take a chop saw and cut them at certain lengths and just mm. screw them together to make a box and doesn't join them in any specific way and uses like bamboo, bamboo skewers. Um, as the bars across the top and, okay. you know, you can really actually, the bees don't care that, it, yeah. you know, that it <laughs> is a, a real formal setup. You can put bees in just about anything. Uh-huh. You just need to keep in mind a few basic principles about the kind of the, the space that they need, um, between the combs and you need to, you just, if you know a little bit about how they're going to build that out, you can put them in anything. So you yeah. could you could really do a pretty um, pretty inexpensive setup and get started pretty easily because you can also catch your swarm. I wouldn't buy bees. I would I would never buy bees. Okay. There's there are plenty of swarms around. You just have to. So I have a um, a ladder stand in in the woods um, that behind my property that I put a, a box on uh, every year. And every year a swarm moves in. And so sometime oh. sometime in March, April, May, June, usually it's later, usually yeah. it's more May, June. Um, I'll go back there and oh yep, there's a swarm. So I take it down okay. and bring it up to the the house, up wow. to up to the yard. And uh, So you could catch multiple swarms that oh, way. Yeah. You just mm-hmm. line them up. Yep, you can yep. I have several friends, they do the same thing. They huh. set set little swarm traps out, little boxes and uh, it's it's pretty yeah pretty easy to catch swarms and if you don't catch one you'll get a call you'll have an opportunity or somebody will catch a swarm and you can have it you know Uh so there's lots of ways to get bees besides buying them and then those are local adapted Mm -hmm. survivor survivor stock and that's really what you want is you want bees that are um, acclimated to the area Uh, a lot of people that buy that live up in the north have to buy bees um, from southern areas Georgia uh, is a big bee producer area uh, mm-hmm. and and they're just not good survivor stock and so it's better if they if in your area once you get bees you learn how to split them learn how to um, create a sustainable management practice that keeps keeps your bees um, uh, reproducing and thriving hmm. and then you'll then you'll have a successful apiary so, okay depending on what your goals are yeah you know if it's yeah if success is honey or success is just bees that don't die, you know, whatever your measure is, uh-huh. um, doing your own uh, management is going to be best. Raising okay. your own bees. Yeah. This has been fascinating. Uh-huh. This is really interesting. I really appreciate you coming on and talking with me about sure. this. Um, any closing thoughts, any other advice for people who might want to get into this or things uh, you want to leave people with? Contact your association, go to a short course. Um, there are lots of really good books, so you can read some, you can read some literature as well. Uh, just the YouTube's just easier to, to access, you know, and most people be more interested in, um, there are a couple bee 
magazines, um, Bee Culture, American Bee Journal, those are good sources to start. They they just don't typically start you at the beginning and walk you through. You know, okay. they're they're typically dealing with topics. You know, that are um, they can be beginner topics, they can be midstream topics. But bottom line is try to find somebody to talk to, try to get a mentor, try to get somebody who can coach you, and you're going to get that through your lo- the local association. Um, well, anybody who listens to this and gets inspired, they're going to be coming to you. They're going to want you to. Yeah, that's fine. I'm happy to <laughs> to give you the resources and information yeah. you need to get going. Yeah. So thanks so much for your time. Oh, I really appreciate it. This was great. Good. So, good. Yeah. All right. Signing out. All right.